Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at CAF's ruling that 22 countries on the continent have no stadiums that meet their minimum requirements, including 10 taking part in the World Cup qualifiers, the start of which has been moved from June to September now to give countries time to fix their stadiums. Also, we speak to Nigeria and Leicester City midfielder Wilfred Ndidi, who's been a regular starter as Leicester are looking for a top four finish in the Premier League and are playing Chelsea in the FA Cup final later this month. Ndidi tells us about the difference that manager Brendan Rodgers has made. So it's just the improvement and understanding the game, and I think we're understanding more of what he was like explaining to us when he first came. That's coming later. Plus, Stuart on the Manchester United fan protest, the reasons behind the protest, and on Jose Mourinho becoming the Roma manager. Well, it's been a busy week in African football. We heard that the Confederation of African Football President Patrice Motsepe announced a $10 million donation to the Pan African Interschools Championship through the Motsepe Family Foundation. So, this recently announced project is already on a sound financial footing. And in eye-catching news, the Belgian Hugo Bruce has been named as the new South Africa coach on a five-year deal.、Uh, Bruce won the 2017 Nations Cup with a young Cameroon side. This was a controversial appointment, though, as Bruce looked all set to become the coach of DR Congo, and then made a last-minute switch to South Africa. It was thought too, and very much rumoured that South Africa legend Benny McCarthy would get the Bafana Bafana job, but it was believed that he was asking for double the salary that Bruce is on, around a hundred thousand dollars a month, while Bruce is on fifty thousand. So interesting news there.、Uh, but the biggest story of the week in African football was that ahead of the World Cup qualifiers, CAF decided that 22 countries on the continent have no stadiums that meet their minimum requirements, including 10 countries taking part in the World Cup qualifiers. And nations that, as it stands, will have to play home games away from home include Senegal, the Gambia, Burkina Faso, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Mali, Malawi, Namibia, Mauritius, and Lesotho. CAF then decided to postpone the opening qualifiers from June to September, giving the countries three months to sort out their stadiums. And also, the CAF verdict on the stadiums raised questions about the hosting of the Africa Cup of Nations going forward, as there are now 24 teams in the Nations Cup in six groups, and six different venues are needed. Ideally,、uh, the 2023 Nations Cup hosts Ivory Coast only had one stadium approved, and the 2025 host Guinea also had only one stadium approved. Uh, so, firstly, Ida, a good move this by CAF to crack down on the state of the continent's stadiums. Steve, I know this has elicited mixed reactions, but I do think that this was necessary by CAF. And you know, I would imagine that at the start of an administration, in this case, Motsepes, well, then this is important data to have. I mean, just last week we were talking about, you know, quote unquote,、um, FIFA and CAF's intention, you know, if you will, to build stadiums in Africa. Now, this is definitely good data to have, Steve, as long as 
it will help action actual projects in the end. Uh, but look, the numbers definitely aren't encouraging. Over 40% of countries in Africa, Steve, cannot host international games. And of course, majority of those are in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, of the 40 taking part in the World Cup qualifiers, the 10 you've mentioned will have to seek alternatives. The sad fact is this includes African giants, Steve, like Senegal, you know, a country that competed at the last World Cup. But all in all, kudos to the likes of South Africa who have a whopping 13, uh, Morocco and Egypt with six and seven respectively, Nigeria, of course, with a decent six, even Equatorial Guinea with four. But Steve, and it's a big but that we should consider, the common factor is that all these countries have previously hosted big tournaments in the continent. Also, Steve, it is important to quantify, you know, just what these uh, CAF, uh, quote-unquote, minimum requirements are, you know. Now, they often surround basics of a facility. We're talking, you know, the state of the pitch, the dressing rooms, uh, medical areas, if any, because that is mandatory. You know, we're talking um, doping rooms, for example, the spectator areas, floodlights, you know. Very basic stuff in the bigger picture. And as Ballon d'Or winner and current Liberian president, you know, George Weah said, it is a shame that in this case, even the oldest independent African country, Liberia, doesn't have a single stadium of basic international pedigree, Steve. But it's also sad, I might add, that punishment, in this case, playing a home game elsewhere, is what incentivizes people to get their act together. That shouldn't be the case. But at the same time, look, let's not also forget that there was a similar ban uh, a few months ago in March, actually, on Stadia by CAF. Uh, but then the continental body lifted this ban without providing reasons why. So I guess we'll also just have to monitor this situation. But all in all, Steve, definitely, as you've said, it does raise questions about the capacity to host a 24-team Afghan which many critics raised at the time of the announcement years ago. However, on the flip side, some would argue that this might be what is needed to spur a country to improve. Because, as we've said, there is a commonality to the countries that are faring well on this calf list of stadiums. Yeah, OK, then. So what would you say? Uh, is this 24-team Africa Cup of Nations workable if uh, six stadiums are needed? Well, frankly, for most countries, Steve, currently it's just not. But as we've said, others might argue that this is precisely the sort of thing, you know, that would force majority to upgrade their infrastructure. Also, Steve, just maybe co-hosting will become more of a thing in African football. I mean, we're already seeing it happening with World Cup bids. Steve, while the 16-team Afghan needed just four stadiums, this needs six. And looking at the current situation, about the list we're looking at, well, just about four countries in the continent currently would fall under that category. So does that mean then that these countries will rotate hosting rights? I'd like to think not, certainly. So co-hosting might be a viable solution. Steve, the increase in teams means increase in 
everything else, every other variable that you can think of, hotel rooms, media requirements, transport needs. And let's not forget that we're living in the pandemic times. So this is multiplied and magnified. Even if a bubble format won't be possible, Steve, simply the dynamics of organizing a tournament now in the pandemic, post-pandemic even, are totally different from even a year and a half ago. And it wouldn't be the first time, you know, that co-hosting has been done within the continent. We look back at the 2000 Afghan. Well, that was co-hosted by Ghana and Nigeria. Even more recently, the 2012 Nations Cup, Steve, a Gabon and Equatorial Guinea combination. So we're seeing that this is possible. Yes, co-hosting could be the way to go. Thanks, Ida. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Was CAF correct to crack down on stadiums? Uh, so CAF has decided that 22 countries on the continent have no stadiums that meet their minimum requirements. And countries that would have to play home games away from home as it stands include the Gambia, Senegal, Burkina Faso, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Mali, Malawi and Namibia. Well, CAF then decided to postpone the opening qualifiers from June to September, giving countries three months to sort out their stadiums. So was CAF right to crack down on the state of Africa's stadiums? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We love to hear your thoughts. Was CAF correct to crack down on stadiums? We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with Nigeria and Leicester City midfielder Wilfred Ndidi, who's valued at around $60 million and has been a regular starter as Leicester are looking for a top-four finish and are playing Chelsea in the FA Cup final later this month. Well, indeed, he spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji about becoming a father and how it's affected him as a footballer. Uh, first, though, it's been a great season with manager Brendan Rogers, and indeed, he spoke about what a difference Rogers has made. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, when when Brendan came, he 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 gave us the plan, his strategy, his tactics, and all. So, I think. Uh, the good thing this season is, you know, after playing with Brendan for like, uh, for this since he came, so it's just the improvement and understanding the game, and I think we're understanding more of what he was like explaining to us when he first came. So I think this uh, this season is uh, the time of like growth, you know, in his own tactics and making the players understand, making the we as a team understand his style of play, you know. So and I think we have uh, we have good players, we have good teams, so uh, and very wonderful coach. So I think that's the reason we're doing. Well. How has being a family man changed you as a person? <laughs> being a family man has changed me a lot. You know, uh, I I wouldn't say taking care of our baby is is very easy. Uh, easy for me, easy for my wife, but doing other things. Why taking care of our baby is difficult, you know, like looking after yourself. Yes, you can still look after yourself, but as new parents, you know, it is very hard, you know. We try to adapt and all, but it is a blessing uh, being a new dad and all. The sleeping time changes and all, even when I, even while I'm, I'm in camp here. Yeah, so uh, I still normally 
I'll sleep and wake up my own time, like before any activity. But now I sleep and wake up in the normal time that my baby w- wakes up, you know, like we just used to it now. So uh, I'll say it's, it's been a blessing to us. It's been, been a blessing. And she's 10 months already, so she'll start looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> It's been an incredibly tough 15 months um, with the pandemic and all of that. You are a footballer. Um, some would say um, you get a chance to entertain people who are watching from home who are unable to come to the stadium. How has the last 15 months been for football, for you and for your life um, playing football? Uh, for me, I would say uh, it has affected everyone around the world, you know. Uh, it's not just we entertaining, like playing and all. What about the People that lost their jobs, lost businesses, you know, I feel so bad for them because uh, I don't know how they feel now. I wouldn't say uh, I know how they feel but because I don't know how they feel. But I'm very grateful for the position that I am and uh, we have the opportunity to actually try to entertain people even in this difficult uh, situation. Uh, we, we, really, we, really, we really try to do our best but, you know, it cannot bring what has happened or lost people and all through this uh, whole virus thing. And, uh, you know, the fans also, the fans can obviously the stadium, the whole atmosphere is just there, you get me. Uh, so I just feel, I feel very bad and I'm, I really hope and can't wait for everything to come back to normal, you know. People start living their lives and businesses start growing and people coming back to normal. Because it's not been easy staying at home for almost 17 months or 15 months or so. Uh, some, might, some might not be able to cope, you know. So, But we're very grateful with the, where we are and the position, as I said earlier. And uh, we'll just keep doing our thing to try and entertain people. And also other sports and all, they also try to entertain uh, uh, during this whole pandemic, you know. But we just hope and pray everything comes back to normal. So that's Nigeria and Leicester City midfielder Wilfred Ndidi. Interesting that becoming a dad has made him change his routine. And certainly he's done really well this season, Stuart. Steve, N'Golo Kante was one of the stars of Leicester City's Premier League Championship winning team. And when he left to join Chelsea, Leicester replaced him with a 20-year-old Nigerian from Racing Genk in Belgium, frankly most of us had never heard of. But Ndidi has surpassed all expectations in playing more than 140 Premier League games, scoring seven goals. He's a bundle of energy. He always seems to be in the right place, whether defending or attacking. And like the player he replaced, he has become a key player in the Leicester City team. Now, Brendan Rodgers is, uh, the Leicester City manager, is 48. He was a promising youth player. Signed for Reading, but then a knee injury at the age of 20 ended his career. He managed Watford, Reading, Swansea City before being given the chance at Liverpool, where he spent four years, and then three years in Celtic, before joining Leicester City in February 2019. Now, in his first full season, Leicester finished fifth, but winning only one of their last five games when they looked certain to qualify for the Champions League. But this season, and... Indeed, his performance is no small factor in this. He's helped Leicester to reach the FA Cup final, and they're currently in the top four. But as well as his team management, Rodgers is seen as an excellent coach who makes individual players better. Yes, indeed, he's shining under Brendan Rodgers, and what a replacement he's been for Angolo and Kante. 
Uh, thanks, Stuart. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart, on how Manchester United's finances changed when the Glazers took over in 2005, and what exactly United fans were protesting about last weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is planetsport.tv. And in the blog section there, you can read Russ Bravo's blog on why the European Super League would have killed the dream after the drama recently with the European Super League folding a couple of days after it launched. That's on our website, planetsport.tv. You click on the blog section on the right to get there. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. To social media now, and while plans for a European Super League resulted in a huge outcry, as I was saying, at the end of the project in the space of just three days, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino last year spoke of plans to start an African Super League where 20 or 24 top clubs will pay $20 million a year to take part with great revenue anticipated. Uh, but if it failed in Europe, does Africa need a Super League? Uh, would there be benefits and would it work in Africa? We had such a huge response to this topic that we decided to do something we've never done before. That's to carry your comments across two weeks. So with your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tekiwa. Thanks, Steve. And on WhatsApp, we begin with Mwenda Zambwe in Zambia who says, For me, I think it's a great idea. An African Super League can make sense and be so beneficial. And Jameson Martin Banda in Malawi agrees, yes, it would be better for us. African clubs who have benefits with that, says Jameson. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Sambo One in the Gambia. Knowing that it doesn't work in Europe doesn't mean that it cannot work in Africa. My only worry here is the amount of money that they said the clubs should contribute to take part in this uh, African Super League. That's what worries me, because looking at the fact that most of the African clubs are owned by individuals and financially they are not that rich uh, as European clubs. Now, meanwhile, Efrata Kamanga in Malawi is also positive. Yes, it's a good idea and it should go on, says Efrata. And Michael Mboka in the Gambia is also in favor. Here is his voice note. Yeah, if Super League is going to be introduced in Africa, then it will be very, very vital than in Europe because Europe there are many leagues that are going on and uh, it's like even uh, the least team there is enjoying numerous leagues you know but in Africa here I mean the only where you show your dexterity in football is maybe in your domestic leagues but to say Africa at large leagues are not that plenty so I was thinking maybe if Super League is going to be added in African League, then it will be very, very good. I, for one, I think they will have my vote for that. So, Michael, saying an African Super League would be good for Africa to increase competition among clubs compared to what they have in their own domestic leagues. But Emma, also in the Gambia, disagrees. No, we don't need any Super League in Africa, says Emma. What we need is FIFA to improve our African Champions League to the standard of the European Champions League. And Gemore, who's originally from Cameroon and now living in the USA, has a similar strong opinion. I can't think of any benefit from an African Super League, says Gemore. 
The current competitions and games need improvement and growth. Adding another tournament like a Super League would simply slow the development of the game in Africa. Bakari Nyasi in the United Arab Emirates agrees. I don't think in Africa we need a Super League, says Bakari. Instead, they should help African clubs to be at a level with European clubs. Added to that, the 20 million a year to take part of the competition is too much, despite the great revenue which could be generated in the end. And here's another voice note, this time from Baiton Mchiko in Malawi. Having a Super League in Africa won't change anything because people already prefer matches which are played in Europe, especially uh, EPL. No need to have Super League here in Africa. Let's manage what we have, but at the moment, we don't need that. So Byton saying Africa doesn't need a Super League because fans already prefer watching the EPL and other European competitions. And we end on a positive note today with Emmanuel Harry in Malawi. In my opinion, it is a great decision. It will promote competition among African clubs, says Emmanuel. The CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup aren't enough to uplift performances of our clubs. The idea of a Super League will play a vital role as players will be exposed at African level and that will attract teams in Europe to have an interest to sign players that are performing nicely on the field of play. So there you have it, Steve. Another mixed bag of opinions, both for and against the idea of an African Super League. But if the president of FIFA, Mr. Gianni Infantino, is listening, no doubt you'll be encouraged by the positive responses given the almost total negativity expressed by fans around the world to the idea of the European Super League, which has now been shelved for the time being, at least. Well, thanks, Ash. Really enjoyed those comments and the different opinions there. Thanks to everyone who got in touch. And uh, that's our Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK now. And uh, Jose Mourinho will become the manager of Italian club Roma next season, having been fired by Tottenham last month. Now, Roma are seventh in the Serie A in Italy. A surprising move, Stuart? Well, I don't think anything about Jose Mourinho surprises anymore, Steve. Uh, but yes, he will replace a fellow Portuguese, Paulo Fonseca, at the end of the season. Mourinho said, The incredible passion of the Roma fans convinced me to accept the job, and I cannot wait to start. Mourinho has had one previous stint in Italian football, which was amazingly successful. He spent two years at Inter Milan, and they produced four trophies in two seasons. He won the Italian league title both seasons and in the second season a historic treble adding the Italian Cup and the Champions League. But Roma, as you say, are seventh in Serie A and they conceded six goals to Manchester United last week. They have not won Serie A since 2001 when incidentally the manager was a certain Fabio Capello. Um, at the moment, it looks as if there'll be a lot of work for Jose to do to take them back to the top. But their general manager, Thiago Pinto, said, when Jose became available, we immediately jumped at the chance to have one of the greatest managers of all time. And he certainly is one of the greatest managers of all time, having managed Porto, Chelsea twice, Manchester United, Tottenham, Inter Milan, Real Madrid. An amazing career. But you'd have to say that the last five years at Manchester United and Tottenham have been the least successful in his career. I'm certainly surprised that he's walked into a top club so quickly again. But as I said, it will not be easy to lift Roma above Juventus and the two Milan clubs. 
Mourinho is a defensive coach. And that was partly the reason he didn't go down well at Manchester United or Tottenham with their attacking traditions. So 1-0 wins will be more popular in Italy and the proverbial parking of the bus. But I will be intrigued watching to see if he can produce the old magic again. Yes, well, Mourinho can't be finished, can he? <laughs> we'll see. And in the UEFA Champions League, Pep Guardiola still on course to win the trophy with Manchester City. They'll play Chelsea in the final at the end of this month. And Algeria's Riyad Mahrez helping City along the way, Stuart. Yes, indeed, an all-English final, Chelsea against Manchester City. Chelsea won at home to a disappointing Real Madrid, with the Senegalese goalkeeper Edouard Mondi making a couple of key saves to help Chelsea. Manchester City, yes, 2-0 against Paris Saint-Germain and Riyad Mahrez, the Algerian, scoring both goals. Now, earlier this season, I said that I thought Mahrez might struggle to get a starting place in the City team because of all the competition. But he's had an amazing season and has established himself as a starter in all the big games. I mean, interestingly, Raheem Sterling was arguably City's outstanding player last season, scoring 20 league goals. But in the Champions League semi-final, Sterling's involvement was restricted to eight minutes off the bench. The final will be in Istanbul, Turkey. A long way to go for the few supporters who will be allowed to go. One of these issues that frustrates spectators, if Chelsea are playing Manchester City, why does the game have to be in Istanbul, Turkey? Well, yes, especially in these uh, COVID-19 times. And uh, last Sunday, the game that we were looking forward to didn't happen as the Manchester United-Liverpool match was postponed after a protest by United fans over the running of the club. Uh, So, Stuart, are those die-hard Manchester United fans right to object to the American owners, the Glazers, putting the club in debt? Or is this foreign ownership just a part of football now? Well, in the aftermath of the failed European Super League proposal, we've seen the emergence of what you might call fan power, with major protests, not just by Manchester United supporters, but Chelsea and Arsenal as well. What was originally planned for a peaceful protest, intending perhaps to delay the kick-off of Manchester United's game against Liverpool on Sunday, got out of hand and resulted in some fans breaking into the stadium, getting onto the pitch and fighting police. While the European Super League has certainly been a catalyst, the discontent among Manchester United supporters is much deeper than that. In 2003, Malcolm Glazer, an American billionaire businessman who already owns some sports teams in America, bought shares in Manchester United. And by 2005, he and his family owned the club outright. The first thing which annoyed the United supporters was that the Glazers didn't actually have the money to buy the club. Up to that point, Manchester United had been a profitable and debt-free club. The Glazers borrowed the money to buy the club and then transferred the debt onto the club so that Manchester United were paying annually millions of dollars to service the debts. It also appeared to Manchester United supporters that the Glazers had far less interest in the success of the football team than in the profitability of the business. Last year, for example, despite Manchester United having a negative bank balance, the Glazers paid themselves something approaching $30 million. The Glazers never seemed to understand the importance of a British football club to its community. That the Glazers kept referring to Manchester United as a franchise instead of a football club seemed to confirm that they saw it as a business venture, not as 
a football team loved by the city. They never seem to grasp the importance to a club of supporters who in England watch their team home and away. They fail to understand the importance of winning trophies, earning qualification for Champions League, as opposed to the American model of setting up a closed shop league with no promotion and relegation. The protesters now want the owners to listen to them, to dialogue with them, to understand them. Whether the owners will listen, time alone will tell. And while I've only spoken about Manchester United, it's evident that the supporters of many of the other 14, yes, 14 Premier League clubs which have foreign owners are equally unhappy with what's happening. Whilst the things have really changed with the ownership of football in England, and uh, things have changed a lot with the scheduling of games too, Stuart. Steve, remember the days when football matches all kicked off at 3pm on a Saturday, how things have changed. And in this year's Premier League programme, at least 10 games have been played on every single day of the week. And for the first time in a 100 years, more league football games have been played on a Sunday than on a Saturday. Oh, wow. So that tradition of football being played on a Saturday afternoon really has changed completely in England. Uh, thanks a lot, Stuart. Before we go, a reminder of our social media question this week. Uh, was CAF correct to crack down on the state of Africa's stadiums? You can post a comment on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers and Ash Tikiwa in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.